The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Tonight we have a full slate. Again, we're going to be talking about two different sports. Um, first up, we have an interview with Josh Klingler. Uh, he's on 610 Sports Radio, but specifically for us, uh, he, he's on the, IMG, uh, the, the Jayhawk broadcast for the KU women's soccer team. Uh, so we actually spoke with him about the team, about the broadcasts, and, and all of that. So um, that's that's definitely something really good to look forward to. Um, and then we also are being joined uh, by uh, David Anderson from On the Banks, which is the, the SB Nation site that covers Rutgers. Uh, he's going to be helping us preview the Rutgers-Kansas football game that's coming up this weekend. So uh, we, we actually have both of those for you. So let's, let's jump over first, though, to the interview with Josh about KU Soccer. And I'm joined now by Josh Klingler, the play-by-play voice of the women's soccer team for the Kansas Jayhawks. Josh, how are you doing tonight? Doing terrific. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. So first first question, um, how, how exactly did you get involved with the TV broadcast for women's soccer? Well, I've been a part of the uh, the Jayhawk radio network for, uh, what, uh, 13 years, I guess now, and uh, done football, uh men's and women's basketball, both TV and, and radio. And and uh, there was literally a, a call last year and said, hey, have you done any soccer before? And I said, I haven't, but I played my entire life. Um, I played a little bit of club soccer in college and played through my adult years. And it was actually one of my favorite sports, just hadn't been able to have the opportunity to, uh, to broadcast it. So I was uh, thrilled to do it last year. We did about uh, four games at that time on, on Spectrum Sports. And, and this year on ESPN Plus, we have the entire – uh, home schedule, so it's uh, it's pretty cool to see a little expansion of the the broadcast as well, and it's been uh, it's been fun to be around Coach Francis and, and and this team, really talented team that's obviously off to a great start and uh, climbing in the top twenty five. Yeah, speaking of that, I mean, other than that that first week, they've been in the top twenty five the entire season. So, um, what what is it the, that you think has kind of led them to that hot start? I, I, don't, I don't know if this was really expected coming into the season. Like, I, I knew people thought maybe they could be a good team, but maybe not this good. Well, I think the depth has been been huge. Uh, last year's team just couldn't play with a lot of depth, and and while they were they were talented and may, maybe underachieved uh, overall for for the season, um, this year's team I think they expected to to be better, to be deeper to have the opportunity to play this way. But I think it's also brought out the best in, in a lot of different players because, um, you know, last year, not to say they got complacent, but you get a little tired. You, you don't have anybody pushing you for a spot necessarily. And and this year that hasn't been the case. Um, a bunch of newcomers have, have factored in as well. A few freshmen have played a number of minutes so far. And uh, and they've just had a nice, I think, uh, build up off the bench that they haven't had a lot of drop off when they've uh, been able to, to play kind of their, their second teamers coming in. Uh, in in the games, and I, I think it's also helped, you know, keep fresh legs, able to attack games late later in games than they were a season ago, and uh, I guess that's kind of the the key to the start. Also, it's just just amazing to think about through seven games, Katie McClure has played fantastic with uh, five goals and three assists, and last year's league score, 
Um, Grace Hagen is, is yet to tally a goal. She's had one assist and hasn't played badly, just hasn't been able to find the back of the net. So they've had all the success when their leading scorer has yet to score a goal yet this season through, uh, through seven matches. Yeah, so, so that's actually what I was going to ask you next about. I mean, Katie McClure, I, I had kind of heard some rumblings last year that, that they were expecting this to be a really big year for. But, uh, I mean, she, she's been absolutely phenomenal. Like like you said, five five goals and three assists. Uh, the the last game I was actually able to watch from start to finish was the game against uh, uh, Utah, I believe it was, where she scored in the second in the second half, like right after Utah scored to take the lead, and then scored in mm-hmm. the second overtime. Has I mean, was was this kind of expected for her to take this 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 kind of role with the team, or is this kind of come out of nowhere? Well, they were really hoping before the season that McClure and and uh, Hagen, the two up front would be a little more effective in, in finishing off plays. They felt like the buildup last year was pretty good, but maybe they didn't have as much scoring as they thought they were going to get out of the uh, the two of them combined. So they were hoping that that was going to be the case. But, yeah, McClure has been and fantastic. Uh, my broadcast partner, Hugh Williams, calls her the ghost. She just has a, a way of, of kind of, of appearing out of nowhere and taking advantage of, of some space with some quickness. And she's just kind of a blur and finds herself into, into free territory and has really capitalized well. Uh, you know, five goals on on five, on ten shots on goal, been very very effective in that regard as well. And then Hagen, like I said, ha- only has one assist, no goals, but has played really well. And she's been in a position where she's going to draw the most attention. Two-time All Big Twelve performer, she's a known commodity. And I kind of describe her like a, uh, in basketball terms, kind of like a like a post player. You throw it in in the post, and sometimes you get double teamed. What's that post player have to do? Have to kick it out to somebody else for or maybe an open jumper, and she's kind of been in that role thus far. She's been targeted quite a bit, um, able to, to play really well with her back to the goal and distribute to others, and she just hasn't found her way yet to the net, but got a feeling she's going to score, and then it's going to be uh, kind of a scoring in bunches. She's the leading uh, shot taker on this team, so she's getting her opportunities, just hasn't found the back of the net yet. So they played well, and then I think a real key has been the uh, the two forwards that have played behind McClure and Hagen up front. Um uh, Taylor Christie was a converted defender that uh, played some forward last year but did not score. And this year she's got three goals, second-leading scorer on the team. So they come off the bench with the ability to to score at that forward spot. Samantha Barnett is yet to score, a freshman um, out of Oklahoma. But that combination of, of Taylor and Barnett up front, they don't get a lot of drop-off when uh, McClure and, and Hagen, the two known commodities, come off the field. So that's been impressive. And then really at all the spots, he did the defensive um, backfield has been been anchored uh, by Addison Merrick, who's been absolutely fantastic out of the uh, the Kansas City area. She's she's kind of the rock in the back there, and uh, also the, the change in style this year. They play a little different formation than they did a season ago. Drop a few more players back, but then send some of the fullbacks into attack mode. I think that that is that is fit the way they're trying to play uh, as well. So they've got a, not, a lot of nice pieces, and again, I think the depth has been the. Uh, I don't know if must say biggest surprise, but they had hoped that it was going to come to play this year, and so far it has, which is which has been nice. And then a couple of starters from a season ago, uh, Sophie Meyerhofer has played in just two games. Uh, Eva Elias' daughter was injured to start the season. She's played in just two games. So two players that really played the entire season last year have barely been on the field um, due to some some injuries. So they can play even deeper than we've seen them play already. Yeah, so the the only other position we haven't really talked about yet has been uh, Sarah Peters in, in in goal. Short of the the one kind of um, I guess gaff that she had in that Utah game that led directly to a goal. I mean, she's been phenomenal this year. Can can you talk a little bit about her and and kind of what that yeah. meant to this team? Yeah, just a freshman, and uh, you know, going into the season. In fact, in the exhibition game, they played two goalies. And I really thought that that might be the case, that uh, the goalie position hadn't completely separated it itself, but they felt like that they had a couple of different players that could play. Peters comes out and starts the first game and hasn't done anything to to warrant relinquishing any, any playing time at this point. Uh, really good with the feet. And in, in the system that Mark Francis is playing with this team, uh, the goalkeeper is is essentially an extra defender in terms of being on the back line and playing a lot with the feet. So we haven't seen her make a ton of saves at this point because they haven't been tested in that regard, but right. she plays a lot in terms of helping to, to get the offense going the other direction and getting the transition going. So she was the best player going into the season. They thought in, in uh, working the ball with her feet and that's what they were looking for in this particular goalkeeping situation. She's had, you know, games where she's had uh, saves as well, but uh, 
frankly, uh, as well as the defense has played in front of her, she hasn't had a lot of uh, chances to uh, to record a lot of saves. Uh, five shutouts, and and you know, as much as you'd love to say, hey, I, I, I you know, if a, if a goalkeeper can make some diving saves. It's also great that they don't have to, and that's been the case uh, thus far. Um, they've they've done a good job in front of her, uh, where she hasn't had to uh, to make a lot of you know you know uh, game saving type uh, moments, and she's been able to to help uh, you know play defense rather than just goalie. Yeah, well, and and I mean, even though she hasn't had a lot of opportunities for saves, you know, I think uh, having watched uh, Sporting Kansas City in the MLS, you know, they mm-hmm. were talking about some of the great goalkeepers that have come through there. And one of the biggest traits that they always look for is someone that can stay in the game, even when they're not being tested. Like that's what you really want in a goalkeeper. And it, it, I mean, just watching her on the broadcast, it seems like she's been very active. She's really been into the game and ready to make a stop. If it was actually called upon, they just haven't really needed her to. So. Yeah. And they, and they, and they play the ball to her uh, quite a bit. And, uh, and again, uh, a defender will drop back, make a play defensively and kind of spin around, spit it back to, to Peters and she's able to again use her feet and 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 then they start the transition the other direction using the the goalkeeper so it's just right. a little different variation than we've seen um, this team play in in recent years and her style and her skill set really fit what they're what they're trying to do as well so you know there's some other goalkeepers on this roster I think are very capable but uh, again Peters has done nothing to show that um, she warrants giving up any any playing time, and and obviously you want to keep things rolling with uh, with a hot hand. And the freshman's been very good between the uh, between the posts. Yeah, definitely. So just a couple other quick things. First of all, um, most people that have watched soccer are you know familiar with like English Premier League and MLS and all of that. What what are the differences between that game and then the college game that kind of make it unique and then and then give it that different spin? Well, I think. If you watch this particular Kansas team, um, they do do some things similar to uh, if anybody's watched kind of sporting Kansas City and uh, the way that they use their uh, back wide defenders. Um, I think if you've watched sporting, you've seen Seth Sinovic over the years. He, he plays a defender position on the outside, but he also uh, plays all the way up the field and and and, and plays a lot in in driving balls into the box and, and creating offense at the other end. And that's kind of what they're calling for this year with the, with the defenders. So they're, they're playing out wide and the defenders are called upon to get all the way back and then play all the way forward and help initiate the offense as well. So I think stylistically um, some of the things that, that sporting does they're they're in that mode, um, you know, kind of depends on the, on the teams too. I think, I think Kansas has some very athletic uh, forwards that they can uh, run some combinations through Um Maybe not as much one-on-one play as uh, some other uh, points or some other uh, levels necessarily of soccer, but uh, good team play and then you know trying to trying to finish. Maybe not as much. Uh, I would see a lot more. I think set piece finishing at the professional level than than maybe goals in the run of play. If you know what I'm saying. Right. And I think we will see more goals in the run of play maybe on the women's side than than maybe some people are accustomed to at, at some of the professional levels where. You know, not that corner kicks and, and, and free kicks aren't important and you don't score off of those, but we do get to see a little more uh, kind of run of play goal action than, than at times you do sometimes in those other professional games. Sounds like a lot of fun. So the, the other thing I was kind of curious, like I, I know that there are some some basic rule differences like um, additional substitutions. Most most other league, you know, like MLS, you, you only have three in a game. Um, right. Also, the clock runs a little bit differently. I, it looks like it's 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 a clock that counts down from forty five instead of um, a running clock, and they add stoppage time. Are, are there any other differences to the game structurally for those that are watching it for the first time? No, that's that's pretty much it. That yeah, that when the clock strikes zero, it's actually zero. <laughs> it's right, more, right. That's it's more American, right? Uh, we're kind of we're <laughs> kind of used to that regard, where where it's. Uh, when the horn sounds, the 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 half or the the game are over, as opposed to uh, at times when you're, you're watching soccer and you know they put up the little uh, the score thing on the side at the extra official. It says there's going to be three minutes of, of stoppage time. Um, you know, not so much. They will stop the clock, obviously, if there's a if there's a long stoppage, but uh, they don't have the uh, the stoppage time. That's kind of kind of the uh, the main difference that you actually know how much time is left. Um, and then uh, the overtime situation, um, obviously, in uh, in in non games where you you have to advance, um, they'll play a, a couple of ten minute overtimes, and if a uh, game remains uh, scoreless or tied, uh, that's how it remains. So um, they will play, and Kansas has already played a couple of overtime games as well. And in the uh, the second overtime is a, is a lot of fun because uh, that's a uh, that's a golden goal situation. That if you uh, uh, score in the uh, the second overtime, 
uh, to take the lead, the game is over. It's kind of like a walk-off. So uh, the Jayhawks have already had a, a walk-off victory in that regard, which makes it uh, plenty exciting as well. And then is is there any limit to the number of substitutions, or can people come in and, in and out? No, I mean, just, just kind of kind of playing playing to what your depth is. I think, I think teams like to play, uh, you know, as long as they can to stay fresh. And I think you'll see Kansas substitute in, in that regard where, uh, you know, the first half they'll have, I mean, some, some players the entire time, but just looking at the forward spots, they'll have, you know, McClure and Hagan uh, of, the, of the 45 minutes they'll play about the first 25 or so. Then they'll come out for, you know, uh, 10 minutes or so and then get back in for the final seven, eight minutes of a half or possibly uh, take them all the way to halftime and then, you can kind of preserve people for later in the game. So um, I don't know. I've, I've, I've seen it both ways. I don't really mind if you can continually sub. I don't, I don't really have a problem with that. It does take a little of the you know, strategy away from having to only have uh, three subs to, to, uh, to deal with that we see a lot of times with, say, sporting or, or some of the other professional leagues. But, uh, you know, if it keeps players fresh and you can get your best players back on the field, with some uh, some legs to them, I don't have a problem with the the way they handle it in the college ranks. Yeah, I mean, and and I've heard it likened to the difference between having a DH and not having a DH in, in professional baseball. Um, you know, it's it's not that one is necessarily wrong; it's just that they're different. You have to have different considerations yeah. for how you manage the roster and everything. So yeah, and, and I think I think it, it it does, especially when um, you know for the most part they're playing Friday Sundays. So it's a it's a it's a pretty tough turnaround. And so to be able to have fresher legs and that, again, the depth has been good in that regard for Kansas this year as well. Um, it's, pr- it's probably a better system for that if you were to, you know, have to, I mean, some, again, some players do play the, the entire time on this Kansas team, but um, if you were to play back-to-back games on a Friday and a, and a Sunday with, with no subs, you can get a little bit gas. So I don't mind the rules in, in that regard either. Yeah, definitely not. All right. Well, so so the soccer team is back in action again uh, coming up on Friday, uh, sub- September the 14th. Uh, they are at home against St. Louis. Um, how how can everyone actually watch that game? Uh, well, this year it is on uh, ESPN Plus, and there are a number of different ways to get ESPN Plus. You can uh, it's a uh, subscription based service. Uh, at, I think it's four ninety nine a month, um, but they have a free trial pre- period, so you can check that out. Um, also, if you're again, I'm plugging ESPN here, right? Is a, is yeah, a right. Video. But uh, uh, if you're an ESPN insider, which I, I think is a, like a, a really good value, I've had it for a, a number of years, but it's included now in that. So if you get the magazine and you get their their website uh, insider access, the ESPN Plus is included, and you can watch that way. And this year, it, it ESPN Plus is going to have a ton of of KU athletics across a whole bunch of sports. Already doing some uh, some pre and post game work for football. Um, the basketball games on the men's side that were a, a part of the, uh, I guess, the the Time Warner or Spectrum television package last year are now going to be on ESPN+. Plus. So those five, six basketball games on the men's side that, that people have been uh, trying to find at times uh, under the previous package will now be kind of wide open there. So uh, a lot of, lot of Jayhawk programming on, on ESPN+. Plus. And again, we're fortunate this year to be able to carry all of the uh, the women's games at home. So uh, Jayhawks home uh, Friday, as you mentioned, against St. Louis, and then uh, one more non-conference game, and then three straight to start uh, Big 12 play coming at home. So the Jayhawks have an opportunity with the uh, the home schedule to uh, to get off to a nice start in terms of uh, the league race. So first three at home, and then uh, the last three on the road. So they need to take care of business at home early in that Big 12 uh, slate. Uh, should be a lot of fun, though. I think this team's, again, off to a, a fast start. I don't think it's any fluke. And uh, hopefully they can continue to kind of push the pace like they have thus far. Yeah, yeah. you know, it, it seems in the, in the last few years we've always had at least one non, non-revenue non sport, you know, that really takes off and exceeds expectations. And it seems like soccer is the one for this year at least. So Yeah, I uh, think they, they have a really good shot to make the uh, the postseason this year, and that, that's definitely their goal. They felt like they – they should have been a postseason team a year ago, so I think they they've they got a shot. And again, the schedule is pretty favorable. First three in league play, and five of the first six come at home, so uh, they can take care of business at Rock Chalk Park. They're going to be in good shape in the Big Twelve. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, thanks again for for joining us tonight. Where can the people find you online? Um, at Josh Klingler, K L I N G L E R on Twitter. Um, Six Ten Sports Radio. I'm all over the place, and. Uh, and uh, ESPN Plus and various sports, starting with the uh, soccer. We'll be doing women's basketball and some baseball later on in the spring. So, um, yeah, I'm 
I'm far too exposed at this, at this time of the year. <laughs> All and, right, uh, sounds yeah, good. And, and, uh, and, and football season still to get to on the radio. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm way too overexposed this time of the year. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds great. All right, thanks again. You bet. And again, a, a big thanks to Josh for, for joining us to talk about the soccer team. It's really exciting to have a team this good that's you know been ranked for this long uh, to start the season. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to to getting to watch their matches a lot more often. Um, again, if you don't have ESPN+, Plus, it's actually something that's worth getting you know, if you are interested in any of those, those quote-unquote non-revenue sports or even basketball and football. The fact that you can get a chance to watch all of the games um, that aren't on nationally, it makes it a whole lot easier, no matter where you are, to get access to all of them. So not to sound like an ESPN Plus shill, but I, uh, I actually signed up for it personally before the first game of the season and have been able to enjoy the, the soccer and the volleyball matches as well. So um, I definitely do recommend that. So, All right, but let's, let's get over now to the interview that I did with David Anderson. Um, again, he's from On the Banks, which is the Rutgers SB Nation site. Uh, I spent some time talking with him about Rutgers them, themselves, talking about the game, you know, what, what all we're expecting to see. So let's, let's get right on over to that. And I'm joined now by David Anderson from On the Banks. That's the Rutgers uh, site on the SB Nation network. David, how how you doing tonight? All right. Thanks for asking, and thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah, not not a problem. So we've actually this year, I think, is is the first year that we've started to bring in guests from outside of our um, our site to to really kind of do these these previews. I think it gives us a different. A different view of the team makes it a little easier to kind of get some additional information that we won't necessarily have um, since, since since we don't follow the team regularly. So so my, my first question is, you know, obviously Rutgers is fairly new to the Big Ten, hasn't really gotten a good footing, I would say. Um, been having problems with some of the more established teams in there. So what what have you seen from this team this year? And do you think that that this Rutgers team is trending up compared to previous years? So that's a good question. Uh, as you mentioned, Rutgers came into the Big Ten in 2014. The first year, they actually went 8-5, and five, got to a bowl game. Uh, since then, it's been relatively downhill. Uh, Chris Ash is in his third season this year, and all the hopes is that, you know, they're going to have a third season uh, turnaround. So really, what has come from this season so far is that Rutgers' winnable games are basically just their first seven, uh, maybe eight if you count Northwestern. So they've got to figure it out and figure it out quick. So reasons for optimism within the Rutgers fan base primarily is because uh, true freshman and four, by some sources, five-star quarterback, Art Sikowski, got the start in week one, looked pretty good. He got roughed up a little bit last week, but he definitely has the potential to be a downfield passing threat that Rutgers hasn't had in quite some time. So that's really the reason that the fan base has a little bit of hope on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, defensively, it's really about depth over the last three years. The team has been able to, you know, at least get close to a legitimate Big Ten uh, in terms of the two deep at some positions. Uh, the bigger issue is that they just don't have, like, big superstars that can go head up with, you know, the, the five-star recruits that you face at a program like Ohio State. So, Really, just laying the groundwork, uh, we're seeing another year of that. And hopefully, you know, a couple guys with some physical talent can develop into star players this, this season. Yeah, so you actually mentioned Art Sikowski. I, I had heard some, some potential rumors that maybe he was dealing with some injury issues and may not actually play. Is, is, is there any, been any kind of update on, on his status for the game? Yeah, so... Uh, he was listed as day-to-day, but then Chris Ash said in his press conference on Monday that Art was good to go. Looking at some of the film and uh, from practice and some of the uh, other reporters who were there, they said he looks like he's ready. So I think that the Rutgers coaching staff won't force him to play if he's not 100%, because last year's uh, starting quarterback, Giovanni Rochino, who's a lot like uh, – Kansas quarterback Peyton Bender in terms of his style of play. Uh, he won three big, big Ten games last year as a starter. So 
Ash has a somewhat legitimate backup option if Sikowski weren't ready to go for this particular game. But long term, they really need Sikowski to be healthy to have any shot of beating any, you know, medium to upper echelon teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah. So the the basic understanding that I'm getting, it seems to be that that while Rutgers hasn't really gotten the results that they would like, it seems like they at least have the potential to kind of be a middle of the pack Big Ten team. Um, you actually mentioned that, you know, their, their winnable games are the first eight, whereas most people that are paying attention to Kansas are saying that really the only winnable games are in those first four. Um, you know, is is that a fair assessment that Rutgers maybe has had a little bit more talent than they've been able to, to actually show on the field and have just been a little bit unlucky in the last few years? Uh I would say they were not very unlucky two years ago, other than the injury to Janarian Grant, who was their far and away best offensive player. He's now at the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, last year, they were pretty good in the games that were close. And then in the, against the better teams, their defense eventually just wore out. Uh, they were able to develop good game plans early on, but the offense just couldn't really move the ball against teams like Michigan State. Indiana, and teams that you, in theory, should at least be able to hang with for a half or, you know, into the, the third quarter. So the talent, I mean, I wouldn't just, I wouldn't say it was bad luck. There weren't very many winnable games that they lost over the last couple of seasons, uh, other than, you know, an occasional toss-up against Minnesota or uh, one of the other teams from the Big Ten West. And really, the fan base feels that if Rutgers were in the Big Ten West, with the only real surefire loss being Wisconsin every year, that there'd be more room for growth. But with the powers in the Big Ten East, it's you, you almost have four guaranteed losses each season. Yeah, and of course, you know, it, it's it's hard to get any kind of traction in trying to put a program like Rutgers in the West division of the conference. Right. Um, even though they're not named East and West, right? I believe our they team, are now. They oh, are oh, now. Oh, oh, that's right. They just yeah after. It. After the uh, the re- after Rutgers and Maryland were added, they did just create an East and West conf- uh, division within the conference. But yeah, before we had leaders and legends, right? Which and, I, honestly uh, I thought was one of the stupidest things yeah. I ever heard of, but only because there wasn't really a good way I think to put it because they didn't want to to try to do that East West division, if I remember correctly. So right, um, but yeah, okay. So 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 let's go ahead and turn our attention more to the actual game itself. So. Sure. Obviously, the game is in Kansas, um, so you know there's there's a little bit of a home field advantage for them. But were you surprised that Kansas opened up as a three point favorite for this game? Um, when I first saw it, no, uh, because I mean to me this is a classic college football toss up game between when you have two really good teams, two teams who are kind of in the medium, or two of the lower echelon teams, let's say in their conference. Uh, it's pretty much a toss-up. Whoever shows up is going to win the game. With Kansas being at home, I figured they would be a two-and-a-half or three-point favorite coming off their victory against Central Michigan last week. So, no, I was not surprised initially with the spread, but I am actually a little bit surprised that the spread hasn't moved at all in the last couple of days now that Art Zikowski has been deemed healthy. And uh, Rutgers, I mean, having watched the film of both games several times, they – they were not as bad as I thought at first take, and Kansas probably wasn't as good as I thought at first take, having watched the film the second time and third. Yeah, I mean, Kansas definitely benefited from some really good turnover luck. I mean, I don't think you can expect to get six turnovers in a game and on any kind of regular basis. Um, and and honestly, I'm like, I don't think that Central Michigan is as bad as they looked against Kansas. I think Kansas just got extremely fortunate um, and had some really big defensive plays. So. Um, but and then of course running into the buzzsaw that is Ohio State, you know, prior to coming into Kansas is not going to make any team look good. Um, but as you said, like with the with the injury information kind of getting clarified there, I was a little bit surprised. Honestly, I I thought it was going to be an even line or potentially Rutgers even be slightly favored, just given the fact that Rutgers has been at least somewhat more successful. I, I think Kansas's win last week is given a lot of people a reason to finally, you know, jump on whatever bandwagon there is left for Kansas fans um, right. and, and try to say, oh, well, look, this this could be part of a turnaround. It's it's almost that false sense of hope. I mean, after we beat Texas a couple of years ago, 
um, you know, there was a bunch of people, myself included, who were ready to say, you know, let's be optimistic going to the next season. Like that, that's probably our, the, the first step in the turnaround. Um, you know, I was, I, I was right in my assessment that it was either going to be the be, you know, it, that, that was a game that everyone was going to remember one, because it's a good chance to make fun of a team like Texas, but two, right. it's either going to be the only positive blip in a really, really bad stretch for Kansas, which as of right now, that appears to be what the case is, or it was going to be the beginning of a turnaround. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are giving a little too much weight to last week's results. Um, you know, obviously Rutgers getting completely blasted just because they were facing one of the best teams in the nation. Um, and then Kansas somehow riding a really hot defensive effort to a, a very convincing win on the road. Um, just ending that road losing streak I right. think gives them a lot more goodwill than I think they necessarily deserve at this point. So, so. Coming into the mat in, into the game, what matchups do you think are going to be the most important? Um, you know, I mean, are, are we thinking that there's any particular position grouping that's important, or is it more of like a specific kind of scheme or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think let me just tell you what I think the biggest key to the game is, and then that probably will lead into answering your question. Yeah. The biggest key to this game is if Rutgers can stop Kansas's rushing attack. Right, Kansas ran for I think it was 56 yards in the first game of their season, and then last week they ran for I think 216 yards uh, against Central Michigan. Obviously, having Puka Williams playing helped. He ran for I think 125 yards on 14 carries and two touchdowns. Right, and I actually broke down two his two touchdowns in a film review that we posted on our website uh, today, Wednesday. So. That's really the key. I mean, when I watched, when I first saw the stats, I, I was a little bit concerned about it. When I started watching the film, and I think it was the Kansas City started a nice breakdown of this as well. Uh, Central Michigan was like they were overplaying to try and stop the run. So whether it be they were just kind of jamming the middle and hoping that Kansas ran to the middle, and if they ran outside, they were in trouble, or they were slanting. Or in some cases, their defensive linemen who were giving up a lot of weight were not trying to hold their ground, but they were instead trying to just over-pursue into the backfield. And the Kansas offensive line did an admirable job, especially from about mid-second quarter on, of just you letting the Chippewa's momentum work against them and just kind of like riding them to the outside with the zone-blocking scheme. So Rutgers' defensive line, I think, is the key because – if they just allow themselves to either get washed down or just kind of run blindly into the backfield, that's not going to work well. They've got to plug those lanes in the middle of the line and and force um, and they're going to have to force Kansas backs to either try to get through small creases or run into an area where there's other defenders who are being unblocked. And so that conversely means that Kansas – running backs are going to be a key on that side because I thought that uh, Puka Williams did a pretty good job of making the first defender miss. The way Kansas's blocking scheme seems to line up, the running backs have to know who's going to be unblocked. And at times, both uh, Williams as well as uh, Khalil Herbert seem to do a pretty good job of that. And, uh, I mean, Kansas had a number of guys carry the ball. So it seemed like they had a pretty good idea of, who is going to be unblocked. So if Ruck, but if Rutgers defensive line can, can hold up, that will give them a little bit more flexibility as to, okay, who's going to come from either the safety position or linebacker on blitzes or, you know, just mixed coverage. Uh, but if the defensive line can't hold up, then none of that's going to matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I do think that that's probably one of the biggest keys. Obviously the running game has the most weapons for Kansas. Um, especially when you factor in the fact that, you know, the quarterbacks haven't really shown anything too impressive in terms of passing. Um, there is definitely room for the passing game to improve, but I, I think they have enough there that they could. Part of the issue is, um, you know, they just they haven't really needed to get out and do that. When they were playing against um, Nickel State in the first week, they were really, really trying to do, like, slow it down and, and really kind of be very methodical. Um, they threw it a decent amount, but it wasn't anything spectacular. Um, what I've also noticed is that the biggest receiving weapon that the Jayhawks have in Steven Sims Jr. 
has been completely bottled up. Um, if the running game gets going, it's going to be really hard for them to continue uh, to bottle him up the way that they have, and that's going to open up more opportunities. So I, I'm expecting there to be a little bit of a shift back towards the passing game, mainly because teams are going to start focusing in on the run and really selling out for that, which should open up the passing game a little bit for Kansas. But I do think that you are right, that it really comes down to the running game. If you can stop the running game um, or at least slow it down enough that they have to go to the passing game often, um, you know, there's an opportunity there for the quarterbacks to, uh, I guess, continue with what has been a, a unsuccessful career for them so far. Um, and that's really your, your best bet to stop the Kansas attack. When you have a guy like Puka Williams in the backfield, it's really, really hard to consistently stop him. He is going to get, going to break a few at some point. So, um, we, we saw that with, with Central Michigan. So yeah, I do agree that when Kansas on offense, that is, that is probably the, the, uh, most important matchup. What about when Rutgers is on offense? Like, what are they going to be trying to do? And what does Kansas need to do in order to try to stop them from being effective? So, you know, with all the talk about this, you know, new freshman quarterback in Sitkowski, Rutgers wide receivers the last three years have just been awful catching the ball. They've been good at blocking, much like Kansas wide receivers are actually quite good at blocking from when I watched the film. Right. Uh, Rutgers receivers against Texas State, Texas State in the first game did not jam them or even show that they were potentially going to jam at the line. Ohio State was able to play their defensive backs up and then either bail at times, jam at times, or just run stride for stride with receivers. The Rutgers wide receivers, just they're not big enough to really make plays in traffic. So what their offense is going to do is try to isolate receivers either against linebackers or slower safeties and going to try to play off of the tight ends. So what Rutgers is going to try to do is they're going to try to mix in inside runs with John Hillman, who's the grad transfer from Boston College and had a nice career there. Uh, And then Raheem Blackshear runs to the perimeter. And then Rutgers, I think, is going to try to leverage their tight ends a little bit more than they have in the past. You know, maybe chip block and then kind of curl out to the side. They've got three or four legitimate tight ends on their roster, including and headlined by Jerome Washington, who made some nice plays against Ohio State. And he's basically open any time the defense elects to play zone coverage. So I think the key on that side of the ball is – and I don't know Kansas's defensive personnel quite well enough because really Central Michigan didn't have anybody of the caliber of Jerome Washington to throw the ball to. I, I'm not sure if how Kansas is going to elect to defend that. I, I would not think they're going to have Joe Janine doing it because they want him kind of roaming the field. But however they elect to kind of defend the Rutgers tight ends is probably going to be key because if Rutgers can complete some balls to the tight ends, bring safeties into the middle, then there might be some one-on-one matchups outside that Rutgers has a a chance, a chance of winning. Otherwise, it's going to be an old-school, like, Big Ten, slug-it-out game where both teams are trying to run the ball, and then if they can, maybe someone will throw a few passes. But really, Rutgers' offensive line uh, is not built for the run, even though they have plenty of good running backs because, I mean, New Jersey has a lot of running backs. So you should be able to find a couple. So they've got the backs. They don't have the offensive line from, from a blocking standpoint to really do enough damage there. Um, so John McNulty is their new offensive coordinator. He was a Rutgers offensive coordinator in uh, 2007 and 8 when Rutgers had a lot of guys who went to the NFL like Ray Rice, Tyquan Underwood, Kenny Britt, uh, several tight ends as well. He's going to they're going to try to get the ball to their receivers a little bit, but really Kansas should not be focused on that. They should be focused on just preventing yards after the catch from tight ends and from trying to keep Rutgers running backs in the middle of the field where Rutgers offensive line is not just going to blow Kansas off the ball. So in other words, it it sounds like the main focus is really going to come down to how well um, Joe Deneen Jr. is playing and then Keith Loniker, who's the other linebacker that, that typically takes up the other side. Um, it could be a one-on-one matchup or two-on-one, if you want to say, between those guys and Raheem Blackshear, which is Rutgers' best offensive guy. Okay. Like, it could it could come down to that, like a head-up matchup. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we we saw enough 
in last week's matchup for KU um, in terms of Moniker making big plays in the backfield. Um, you know, Joe, Joe Deneen was all over the field as he usually is, which I think is kind of the one thing it's hard to plan for a guy that seems to be able to stick with a play really, really well. Like the only plays that he can't make are the ones that are, you know, mid to deep to wide receivers just because there's no way right. to get over there. Pretty much every other play he's in on somehow, whether it's, you know, forcing a guy to, to run right towards another defender or getting in on the tackle, or just kind of being there for mop-up duty after someone else bounces off of him. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm expecting that to kind of be the key there, that that matchup. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how they're able to handle the, the, the pass rush or the, the the run defense of Kansas defensive line. Daniel Wise is is a, probably a, a little bit of an un, unheralded guy. He's, he's clearly one of the better defenders that Kansas has. He consistently rates pretty highly on things like the pro football focus, um, yeah. the, the, the ratings that they have there, the, the problem just being, he usually isn't enough to break into the top two or three at the position. So he doesn't necessarily get as much recognition as Deneen does, but he's still a very highly rated guy and he has the opportunity to wreak a lot of havoc if he can get past his, his linemen. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see who can get what going. I think there's a lot, there's a lot of opportunities for defenses to, to kind of really have their way. Um, especially if Kansas can't get the running game going. So, all right. So, so jumping in kind of here to the final, the, the final few thoughts here, what, what are you expecting to see from this game? Like, are you expecting a certain player or a certain like scheme or something to kind of win out and start and start driving it? Or is it, we're going to have a back and forth game all, all, all day long? I think it's going to be pretty back and forth. Uh, I think when I wrote my prediction, Yesterday, I was predicting either a 20 to 17 or 23 to 17 win for Rutgers, but I mean, it's a toss up. I mean, whichever t- one, like, and as you see, you guys have probably seen it a lot. When you're playing against a fairly evenly matched team, usually one team shows up ready to play and the other team doesn't. Right. And that team's going to win either at the beginning or they're going to wear out their opposition. If both teams show up, and they both come out firing, which for an 11 a.m. Central kickoff, I don't know if that's going to happen. But right. If they both come out firing, I think that Rutgers has a slight advantage because they're going to be uh, – I think they're, they just came off a game playing against a, a superior opponent. So I think that would give them slightly the edge if, if they do come out you know, with some intensity and everything like that. If both teams come out flat – I think the edge does go to Kansas because I think they're going to be a little bit more willing to just kind of hand the ball off to their their kind of two-headed monster running back, throw occasional pass to Kerr Johnson or Steven Sims, who I think have a better chance of winning one-on-one matchups than the Rutgers wide receivers do. I, I have I'm pretty good confidence in the Rutgers secondary, but I don't have any confidence in the Rutgers wide receivers. So. If both teams come out flat and it just comes down to which team can make a few more big plays, Kansas probably is in the driver's seat. Yeah, well, and, and I do think uh, there's kind of one one X factor to this game that that we can't really count on one way or another, but it, it would have to be coaching decisions by specifically by by David Beatty. We've been we have criticized him pretty much his entire tenure there for really bad timeout management, for clock management, just all kinds of things that you would think that a coach would develop after, you know, three years of being on the job um, that just still haven't seemed to really, to really uh, get, get any better at all. So if we do continue to see like a, as even of a matchup as, as you're expecting, I do think that Rutgers probably has a little bit of a coaching advantage. And, and so that might ultimately be what wins out the day for them is that Beatty is going to make one or two boneheaded decisions, whether it's calling a timeout in a really, you know, horrible spot and not having anyone he needs him late in the game or another bad punting decision where he decides to punt from, you know, the Rutgers, you know, 42 yard line or something when they're down by, by four points with two minutes left to go or something like, stupid like that. So um, hopefully it doesn't come down to that, but you know, if, if it is as evenly matched there as, as you're expecting, then I would think that Rutgers probably has a slight edge. So, well, from yeah, from a coaching standpoint, uh, 
Rutgers coaches are they pretty much know what they're doing. I mean, if if you look at uh, you know the past couple of years, especially on defense, you know they've been able to contain people at the beginning of games, other than the embarrassing Michigan and Ohio State games from two years ago. In game, Chris Ash, you know he he could stand to get a little bit better, but in the close games that they have had. It was not boneheaded coaching decisions that led to losses. It was on the field execution. So if that's how you guys feel about your coach, then uh, probably makes you feel. I agree with you. About the game, right? <laughs> I'm not saying Rutgers coaches won't make a boneheaded play, but I would say that that's one of the fans less of the fans' concern than some of these other things we talked about. Yeah. All right. Well. Um... You know, so so I guess really the only thing the only thing left is asking if the game is going to live up to the pedigree that is being thrown around. Uh, uh, I I don't know how much you've actually seen, but places like Sports Illustrated and ESPN have all actually been writing more about this game than I thought they would. Um, this is part two of what has been dubbed the uh, the worst game of the century. I think uh, I've heard a bunch of different things. There's the the, the Power Five Toilet Bowl game. Um, you know, there's the, the best worst game of the century. Like there's been all kinds of names like that. Are you expecting this to be that sort of game where, you know, we just come away from this game and say, wow, these are two pretty bad football teams. No, I I really don't expect that because I don't think either team was particularly sloppy last week, which means it's unlikely both of them are going to be really sloppy. I mean, they might not come out with a lot of effort. But I don't think that it'll be sloppy, which would really add to a legend like that. Plus, Rutgers played in one of those games two years ago and were defeated by Illinois, who absolutely had could not do anything on offense. So Rutgers has plenty of experience in these type of contests uh, with their currently uh, annual matchup with Illinois each year. Okay. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll we'll go ahead and leave it there. So uh, thanks again for coming on. Um, where can can people find you guys online? So we have uh, our site is obviously onthebanks.com. Uh, it's part of the SB Nation network. And then we have a Facebook group as well. And then we also have our Twitter, which is, uh, I think it's just called on the banks. I'll look it up. It's actually it's actually now. at it's actually at OTB underscore SB Nation. That's our Twitter uh, feed. All right, I'll I'll make sure that I that I get it on there and and get it tagged and everything. But uh, but yeah, what about you personally? Do you have like a personal Twitter that people can follow or anything like that? Uh. Not really, but I do have an occasional personal site that I figured I would mention because I started this blog, even though I don't write on it that often, named uh, BigDippin.com after one of the most famous members of the Kansas community of all time, Will Chamberlain. So uh, not like there's much up there usually, but I just thought I would share that that's one of my ties to the state of Kansas. Well, hey, you can't ever have too many ties to the state of Kansas, I don't think. So... (laughs) But no, just follow us on onthebanks.com, and uh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to you know a game that at least one of these two teams will go home and feel better about their season. Uh, since there's no ties in college football, we don't have to worry about a Pittsburgh Steelers, Cleveland Browns type of uh, result. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, thanks again for joining me. Have a good one. Good you luck as well. Saturday. You as well. Good luck, Andy. All right, thanks. thanks. Bye. And that'll do it for today's episode. A big thanks to both of our guests for the day. Um, just a little update on what's coming up this weekend. Obviously, as we talked about with Josh, the soccer team has two matches or two two games this weekend. The first one coming up tonight against St. Louis at home at Rock Chalk Park. You can catch that one 7 o'clock Kansas time uh, on ESPN Plus, or you can listen to it on the radio on CTE. KCTE 15:10 a.m. Um, those are the the two options you have to follow the game, or of course you can follow it online. Um, that's a big a big test for them. Also on Friday night at five o'clock um, on ESPN Plus, there is the, the 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 volleyball team is facing UNC Greensboro. Originally they were scheduled to travel to the Carolinas, 
um, to North Carolina this weekend, but with Hurricane Florence coming through, um, that, that trip obviously got canceled. So instead, UNC Greensboro is coming for a two-set match. I'm sorry, a two-match set of, of, uh, they have one on Friday at 5 p.m. and then they play again at 6 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, both of those games are available on ESPN Plus. Um, you know, friend of the podcast, uh, Jill Dorsey Hall will, will most likely be on the broadcast for those. So I definitely recommend that you tune in if you can to catch those, those, those matches. Also, of course, on, on Saturday, there is the Rutgers game. Um, you know, I am a little concerned about that game in terms of Kansas' ability to, to build on the momentum that they have. Um, you know, I'm not expecting the defense to give us another six turnover. So Rutgers seems to have a, at least a semi-competent offense. Um, you know, I know that I know speaking with David, he wasn't necessarily too enthralled with uh, some of the receiver options, but I've heard from a few other people that, that it seems like they're probably a little bit better than he's giving them credit for. So we'll have to see if the secondary can continue to, to come up big. Um, Corion Harris, I'm expecting to have a big game. Mike Lee at safety will probably have a, a decent game as well. We need those guys to continue to perform uh, for us to have any chance of beating Rutgers. And ho- hopefully the Todd Reeving bump will help with the crowd a little bit there. Um, so, but then, uh, as I said before, we have that, that UNC Greensboro matchup, but what is probably the highlight of the entire weekend, um, is going to be the soccer team traveling to Texas A&M. They are ranked number four right now in the nation. Um, that is on Sunday at 1 PM Kansas time. Uh, that is on the SEC network plus, which I'm assuming is something you can also get on your on your ESPN Plus subscription if you have it. So I would definitely recommend tuning into that match. It should be a really good match between two really good teams. If Kansas can come away with a win there on the road, I would expect them to probably be ranked top 10. Um, and honestly, even if they draw, I would expect them to, to, to jump up in the rankings a little bit. So that'll be a huge test for them. Um, this uh, The last matchup I want to talk about is volleyball against Drake. That is coming on, on Tuesday. We'll probably have another podcast by then, but it might be dropping that morning. So, again, another one to keep an eye on. Um, that is at home, so it will be another another match that's on ESPN+. Plus. So, But uh, that's, that's the wrap-up for the weekend. I want to thank you guys for joining me for this podcast. Uh, as always, you can contact me uh, at rockchalkpod on Twitter, or you can email us rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com love to get all of your comments suggestions questions all that fun stuff so please if you haven't already go out to itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and rate subscribe uh, you know the five stars really does help us get our name out there so we can come to more people get more ideas about how the podcast should work so again thank thank you guys for listening and we will catch you next time on the rock chalk podcast Podcast Network.